Welcome to the first season of Murder and 20 podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you're a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder and 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Did you know there is actually a website that reports on cruise ship deaths? Seriously, it's called cruiseshipdeaths.com, and they state that crew and passenger deaths that occur on board can happen for a number of reasons. Natural causes, accidents, suicides, and even murder. It's thought that there's around 200 deaths per year, but not all cruise lines or countries publicly report deaths, so the actual number is unknown. Miki Kanasaki moved to the U.S. when she was a child. The Orange County Register reported that her father worked on farms in the Fresno area, and their family settled in Los Angeles. She was the youngest of four children and had a favorite niece, a doctor in Florida, that she liked to visit often. Lonnie Cocantes was in and out of trouble when he was younger, and by the time he was 22, he had several felony convictions, many of them related to drugs. However, he went on to law school and graduated from the University of Texas, moved to California, and practiced law, which is rather surprising considering his five previous convictions. Lonnie and Mickey met while working at a law firm in California, where she was a paralegal and he a lawyer. They married on November 29, 1995, and bought a house in Ladera Ranch. But in 1996, her arthritis prevented her from working, and she left her job at the law firm, went on disability, and began investing. Her parents gave her money to invest as well for their retirement. Mickey's fur baby was Snowy, her Pekingese dog. She and Snowy would walk the neighborhood every morning. Then she would spend time in her garden or visit with her parents and run errands with them. Lonnie and Mickey's relationship was turbulent throughout the years. He would say she drank too much and had anger issues. And she would say... He was tight with money. Court records indicated that over the years, their relationship deteriorated and law enforcement was called to the residence many times for Mickey physically abusing Lonnie. In 2001, the couple finally divorced, and although Lonnie and Mickey had split up, they maintained ownership of the house together. It was a calculated move at the time to protect their assets while Lonnie was involved in a lawsuit. But when the lawsuit dissolved, he wanted to sell the house. But he and Mickey didn't agree on ownership of the house, and she had no intention of leaving it or selling it. In August 2002, she was charged with battery. The court ordered Mickey to attend a domestic violence program, and the charges were dropped after she completed it. In 2002, Lonnie met a woman named Amy through a dating site, and they began an affair. Mickey had no idea. In January 2003, she was again charged with battery against Lonnie for allegedly kicking him in the leg four times. This time, she took anger management classes and attended Alcoholics Anonymous. Court records revealed that on March 2, 2005, Lonnie emailed her friend and former co-worker Sue White and stated that she was unhappy with Lonnie and had decided to cut him off from her parents' money. 
she was also frustrated that she couldn't buy any big ticket items, even though they could afford it, and that she had to put up a big fight to buy anything for the house. She said Lonnie just couldn't part with money. Later that year, Mickey and Lonnie separated. Lonnie married his third wife, Amy, in Las Vegas. Although their affair had lasted three years, their marriage only lasted a short two months before Lonnie divorced her. In September, Lonnie filed a motion in the courts to force Mickey to sell their home in Ladera Ranch. But then Lonnie and Mickey reconciled, and he moved back into the house. Over time, they each drew up a will. He left everything to her, and she left everything to him. So when the hearing for selling the house was held in November, he didn't show up, and the judge dismissed the case. In early May 2006, Lonnie decided to book a Mediterranean cruise for himself and Mickey. Lonnie made all the arrangements. He located a bargain vacation on a cruise ship named Island Escape. It was an older ship, built in France in 1981, and was the largest cruise ferry built at the time. Now the interesting thing about this ship is back in 1988, it was called the Star Dancer. When a young couple, only married nine days, went on their honeymoon on a cruise from Los Angeles to Mexico. The new bride, Karen Waltz, was strangled and thrown overboard by her new husband, Scott Roston. Twelve hours later, her body was found floating in the ocean near San Diego. Scott was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. While Lonnie made the arrangements with the travel agent, he specifically requested a cabin with an outside balcony. One feature of this older style of cruise ship is that the balconies on the private cabins weren't tiered or stepped back like a set of stairs. Rather, from the balcony, it was a straight drop to the water. He then called his best friend, Bill Price, a retired cop who was now a private investigator, and quizzed him about what type of security they had on cruise ships and asked if there were any surveillance cameras. A few weeks later, the couple flew from California to Minnesota, then on to London and Spain, where they boarded the cruise ship. On May 25th, they were four days into their cruise and went on a day excursion to Sicily in Italy. That evening, the ship traveled north towards Naples. The couple enjoyed their dinner, ordered a bottle of wine, and each enjoyed a glass with dinner, and took the half-full bottle with them. They stopped in at the casino to try their lucky gambling, then attended a theater show. Just before midnight, they headed back to their room, put up their feet, and each enjoyed another glass of wine. The Los Angeles Times reported that they had a big day planned for tomorrow, an excursion to Pompeii, so Lonnie took an ambient sleeping pill, hoping for a good night's sleep and to wake up refreshed. But Mickey couldn't fall asleep, and before he nodded off, she told him she was going to get a cup of tea. He doesn't remember the exact time, but thought it was before 1 a.m. But Mickey didn't go out for a cup of tea. And what happened next, no one can really be sure. But authorities believe that it's likely Lonnie used a convex surface such as that wine bottle and hit Lonnie in the head with it. He then strangled her. Their struggle must have been quiet. The cabins close to theirs never heard a thing. Lonnie would later claim that when he awoke at 4.30 a.m., he noticed that Mickey wasn't there and her bed hadn't been slept in. He notified ship officials that she was missing. Crew members searched the ship for her and announcements were made over the loudspeakers 
asking the 1,700 passengers to participate in the search. The last time anyone recalled seeing her was 11 p.m. the night before. Mickey had vanished. Ship's personnel interviewed Lonnie. He stuck to his story of Mickey going out for tea. He told authorities that Mickey previously talked about suicide and said that when she was sad, she would drink. The ship made an unscheduled stop in Naples, and Lonnie was greeted by Italian law enforcement who interviewed him. He offered up that perhaps Mickey had gotten nauseous from the wine and fell overboard. Lonnie chose to leave the ship in Naples and stay in a local hotel while he waited for word on her disappearance. Court records indicated that later that evening, an American consulate official advised Lonnie that their search for Mickey had ended for the day and would resume tomorrow and added that they felt there was no chance Mickey would be found alive after being in the water for more than 24 hours. Meanwhile, Italian police boarded the vessel and took statements from the crew and retrieved ship records and videotapes. Mickey and Lonnie's room had been sealed off and was searched by police. They confiscated the wine bottle, along with prescription medication and other items. The next morning, on May 27th, it had been less than 36 hours since he murdered his wife. Lonnie was on a plane back to California. I imagine when he stepped back on U.S. soil as a free man, he breathed a big sigh of relief. But he didn't go home to the house he shared with Mickey, the house he wanted so badly. He went to Amy's house, and the two resumed their relationship. The next morning, on May 27th, it had been less than 36 hours since he murdered his wife, the crew on an oceanography research vessel spotted the body of a woman floating in the Mediterranean Sea. The Coast Guard retrieved Mickey's body from the ocean near Calabria in southwest Italy. Mickey was 52. The Orange County Register reported that when Mickey left for the cruise, she made a promise to her parents. She would make up for not seeing them on Mother's Day by taking them out on Father's Day. And afterwards, in an interview, Mickey's mother, Sissuko, told a reporter that the couple often traveled together. And she said, I can't imagine what happened to her. There's no reason to believe it was suicide, and that her daughter was in good spirits before the trip. The FBI was investigating Mickey's death, along with the Italian police and State Department officials in Rome. On June 7th, 12 days after she was murdered, an Italian chief medical examiner performed Mickey's autopsy, while an Italian pathologist and United States Army pathologist observed. The medical examiner concluded that Mickey had been strangled by another person and died of homicidal assault. Her body was then thrown into the water where it remained for 36 to 38 hours before being found. Mickey's body was returned to her family and on June 23rd she was buried at the Rose Hill Memorial Park in Whittier, California. In July, Lonnie told a reporter with the Los Angeles Times that they were making plans to remarry and that I was committed to this woman. I loved her with all my heart. I wish I'd never gone on the cruise. In December, the FBI began an investigation into Mickey's death and a federal grand jury was convened. Later, it was reported that Lonnie had talked Amy into removing a hard drive from one of his computers at his office and that Lonnie had threatened to kill her and make it look like an accident. So she lied to the federal grand jury, and no indictment was issued. After Mickey's death, thanks to the new wills, Lonnie inherited the money she had invested. 
The total was over $1 million, including her share of the house in Ladera Ranch. With his assets liquidated, he moved to Safety Harbor, Florida, where his elderly father lived. In 2007, Lonnie married for a fourth time to a woman named Catherine, and in January 2008, he created a foreign trust for his new wife. He used a wire payment to transfer Mickey's assets to Belize to the new trust account. For some unknown reason, later that year, he decided to transfer his assets back to the U.S. and deposit them in his bank account in Florida. Meanwhile, Lonnie had requested a pardon from the Nebraska Board of Pardons for his five felony convictions so that he could practice law in Florida. On June 7th, the board denied his request, saying that he'd been fortunate to practice law in California and that the Florida courts were very unhappy with him. One of the reasons they cited was the authorities' ongoing investigation into Mickey's death. Over the years, Orange County Police and the FBI never forgot about Mickey, and their investigation was ongoing. They were patiently waiting for more evidence. On November 6th, the U.S. Attorney's Office swooped in with a court order and seized all the cash in Lonnie's Florida bank account, which was almost $1.3 million. The money was seized in a civil asset forfeiture case, not a criminal case. The Federal Attorney's Office then brought the case to the attention of the District Attorney in Orange County, California. Now you just gotta love it when justice finally catches up with the murderer. Mickey was murdered in 2006, and her ex-husband Lonnie was finally arrested and charged with her murder nearly seven years later. On February 8, 2013, Lonnie was arrested at a shopping center in Pasco County, Florida. Sheriff's investigators had found additional evidence in Mickey's death, and Lonnie was extradited from Florida to California to stand trial. Susan Price, Orange County Senior Deputy District Attorney, said that researching the crews in California, buying the ticket in California, having them sent to you in California, and driving to the airport, those represent intent and preparatory acts. They gave prosecutors in California jurisdiction. If convicted, Lonnie could get life in prison or the death penalty. Lonnie's lawyers would argue that Orange County authorities did not have the jurisdiction to lay charges. After all, the murder happened in Italy. And on May 31st, a Superior Court judge agreed with them, dismissed the case, and ordered Lonnie freed from jail. But prosecutors had a plan. They immediately filed a new case to keep Lonnie behind bars. He was charged with murder with special circumstances of killing for financial gain. Lonnie's lawyers argued again that the court did not have jurisdiction. In July, a judge declined to dismiss the new charge. Lonnie had been sitting in jail for two years while his lawyers continued their fight to get the charges thrown out. It was now 2015, and Lonnie had devised a plan to get rid of another ex-wife. He tried to hire two inmates to kill his third wife, Amy. In 2006, when Lonnie was investigated, she testified on his behalf in front of an Orange County grand jury. But when investigators contacted her again in 2013, she changed her testimony and became a state's witness. Lonnie, fighting for his freedom, decided to draft a letter for Amy to sign. It stated that her 2006 testimony was accurate and that authorities had forced her to lie in 2013. He then tried to hire two inmates to get the letter to Catherine, have her sign it, and then kill her. 
but instead, one of the inmates contacted a lawyer, who then contacted the Orange County Sheriff's Department. Three new charges were added for two counts of a solicitation to commit murder and one count of solicitation to commit a crime by bribing a witness. In February 2020, the trial against Lonnie began. The Orange County Register reported that at the start of the trial, jurors were told by the assistant district attorney that Lonnie had strangled Mickey, then threw her off the cruise ship, and that had they not found her body, we would have never known she was strangled and was dead before she ever hit the water. Lonnie's defense attorney countered by saying it wasn't foul play, but rather Mickey's injuries could have been the result of her breaking her neck after she fell and hit the water. His ex-wife Amy had told investigators that Lonnie told her he hired a friend to kill Mickey while they were on the cruise, but then his friend wasn't going to go on the cruise, and he later told Amy that he'd have to take matters into his own hands. Mickey's niece Julie was cooperating with the FBI and recorded her phone conversations with Lonnie after Mickey died, and some of those conversations were played for the jurors. Julie discussed the autopsy results with Lonnie, and when she confronted him with the evidence and asked if he had anything to do with her death, he became angry. The pathologist who had been present at Mickey's autopsy flew from Italy to attend the trial. He testified that her injuries were not consistent with a fall into the ocean. She had a skull fracture or hemorrhaging in her brain, and that at the base of her neck, a violent action that was continued for a period of time occurred. When he was asked if it could have been a wine bottle, he replied, It could be any object that had a convex surface, and that it could be a bottle, yes. He also explained that there was no water found in her lungs, which prosecutors argued meant she was dead before her body went into the ocean. When asked by the defense about the fact that there were no defensive wounds or fingernail marks near her neck, the pathologist agreed that was correct. When the assistant DA asked him, Do you believe Mickey was murdered? He answered, Absolutely. Lonnie maintained that he did not know what happened to Mickey and that he didn't know if his ex-wife was killed. When questioned, he said he reconciled with Mickey because she had agreed to go to counseling. The trial was underway for almost six weeks when it was suspended due to the COVID-19 pandemic. It resumed at the end of May, and on June 15th, Lonnie was convicted of murdering Mickey with a special circumstance of murder for financial gain. The state was also seeking $1 million in restitution from Lonnie. After all, with Mickey dead and him in prison, he wasn't going to need the money. NBC News in Los Angeles reported that Nikki's brother, Tosi Kanasaki, told Lonnie he was a vicious criminal, evil person, a cold-blooded killer, a sociopath, and that his little sister got the last revenge when her body was found. On September 18th, Lonnie was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Prosecutors moved to dismiss the case for the attempted murder on his ex-wife Amy, now that he was going to be spending the rest of his life in prison. Cairo 7 News reported that Orange County District Attorney Todd Spitzer had said, and I quote, He picked the perfect ship, the perfect stateroom, and the perfect time to kill his ex-wife and he almost got away with murder. But his downfall was struggling with Mickey before tossing her overboard because she died before she hit the water. Her lungs were filled with air, not water, so she floated, and by a miracle, her body was discovered. 
that miscalculation allowed us to convict him of murder. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Olga and Joe Connell. Olga realized her dream of moving from Russia to America and was lucky enough to find her Prince Charming. But her dream was shattered by drugs, money, and greed. Not only did her boss hire a hitman to kill her and her new husband, he hired two of them. If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects from Vaseline Studios and Quick Sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers.